the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Happy Tuesday, friends, and welcome to The Jenna Ellis Show. I'm Jenna Ellis, and today my very special guest will be John Bachman, who is, of course, a host on Newsmax and one of my great colleagues and very good friends for quite a few years. And he had an opportunity to interview President Trump before the Arizona rally this weekend, so he will join later on in the program to talk all about that and more. But first, I want to break down the oral arguments at the Supreme Court in a very important religious Liberty case this morning. But first, as you know, Legacy Precious Metals is the company you can trust for investing in gold. They can help you roll your retirement account into a gold-backed IRA where you still own the physical gold. They can also ship gold and precious metals safely and securely to your house. Did you know a million dollars worth of gold can actually fit in a shoebox? Gold is one of the best ways to protect your retirement. No matter what happens, you own your own gold. It's real, it's physical, and it's always been valuable since the dawn of time. And while the Biden administration has caused a financial crisis and have no clue how to fix it, you can protect your... You can take steps to protect yourself because our economy is in trouble and you need to make sure that you are taking those steps to protect yourself and your retirement. So call Legacy Precious Metals today. 866-528-1903 or visit them online at LegacyPMInvestments.com where you can download the free investor's guide. I also had an opportunity to speak to the president of Legacy Precious Metals. You can go and find that full interview on my Facebook page and it was actually really interesting. I learned a lot about investing and why even if you are in your 20s or 30s, you need to start investing in your retirement today. It's like investing in your health. You want to make sure that you're healthy as you move forward in life. So uh, go and find that Legacy Precious Metals interview on my Facebook page and call Legacy Precious Metals today at 866-528-1903 or visit them online at LegacyPMInvestments.com. All right, so the Supreme Court this morning heard oral arguments in Shirtleff versus the city of Boston. This was a case uh, that the Alliance Defending Freedom, our good friends, uh, were involved in. And the question presented, this was really interesting. A private religious organization was denied access to briefly display its flag on a city flagpole pursuant to a city policy that expressly designated a flagpole as a public forum that was open to all applicants with hundreds of approvals and zero denials. The organization challenged the denial on a free Uh, or a First Amendment free speech ground, and the Supreme Court granted three questions presented. These are uh, the certified questions that the Supreme Court will debate and they'll actually respond to in their opinion. And these questions included whether the First Circuit's failure to apply the Supreme Court's forum doctrine to the challenge conflicts with prior precedent holding that speech restrictions based on religious viewpoint or content violate the First Amendment or are otherwise subject to strict scrutiny that the Establishment Clause is not a defense to censorship of private speech in a public forum 
open to everyone. So this is going to be an interesting and important case, uh, not only for the First Amendment, but also protecting religious liberty. Because when you have a public forum that is open to everyone, the Supreme Court has previously held that the Establishment Clause in the First Amendment, which says, of course, that the government can't establish a religion, and there is um, the out-of-favor lemon test, uh, which is a three-pronged analysis that the Supreme Court has previously used to determine whether or not uh, the state actor or agent is establishing a religion. Uh, that test has kind of fallen out of favor. We'll see if the court um, actually talks about that in their opinion. Um, there was some commentary uh, today and some dialogue in the oral arguments about that test, about the Establishment Clause, uh, but basically that you can't uh, as the state, you cannot treat religion more disparately or discriminate on the basis of invoking the Establishment Clause when it is a public forum and it's open to everyone. So um, the best example is if you have a free speech public forum where everyone is available to um, and open and it's free to come and debate and dialogue, you can't say, well, that includes everyone and that includes any kind of speech other than people who are expressing religious viewpoints. So when it comes to this flagpole, this is really interesting, that in this uh, city policy, policy that expressly designated a flagpole as a public forum and no applicants have been denied out of hundreds. Now the one that they deny is a religious organization. So it seems like uh, to me, based on the portion of the oral argument that I heard this morning, it seems like uh, we are likely to get at least a majority, if not a 6-3 opinion, saying that absolutely the First Amendment protects uh, the right of a religious organization to have access to a public forum, especially when it's been designated, without any sort of discrimination based on the content of the flag and the speech or the symbol. Because, of course, as we know from other Supreme Court precedents, uh, speech can be symbolic. It can be written. Of course, it's not just verbal communication. And so a religious flag is speech that should be protected under the First Amendment and other prior precedents. So we'll be watching this case as well. I wanted to bring it to your attention because, of course, no media outlets are talking about this. Um, they only tend to talk about the Supreme Court when there's something that is a very hotly contested issue in uh, the court of public opinion, but it's very important to pay attention to all of the cases that are going through the Supreme Court because these opinions do touch and concern other issues uh, like religious liberty in ways that ultimately can impact our ability as Christians, as citizens of the United States, and as participants in our society uh, from expressing our sincerely held religious beliefs. So we want to make sure that we're staying on top of this. You can go and listen to the oral argument um, that was on the Supreme Court's website. Uh, C-SPAN also carries it all the time. You can go to their website as well. If you want to listen to, um, you know, the hour or so of argument, um, or you can also uh, just see the opinions as they're handed down. This one may be handed down sooner than June. Uh, that's kind of when, as we've talked about, the Supreme Court tends to hold their most controversial opinions. This one may come uh, before June, just because it's probably not quite as controversial as uh, some others, like the Dobbs opinion that's dealing with abortion, for example, um, or others that the court has held uh, until the end 
of their term and then they're like, you know, hey, here we're giving you these controversial opinions. Go talk about it. We're going to go on vacation for a couple of months. So uh, this one, as soon as we get that opinion, we'll be discussing that and breaking it down here on the show. And 2022 is going to be a critical year for America, not just with Supreme Court cases, but also for AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, along with their nearly 2 million members. The fight to stop out-of-control spending in the president's Build Back Better scheme is far from over. Congress is plotting more legislation that could hurt our seniors, and the midterm elections will be a battle for freedom versus socialism. Unlike liberal groups, AMAC is America's conservative, action-oriented, 50-plus organization fighting hard every day right here in Washington and across the nation for our seniors. So I'm urging you now to choose AMAC. You will all receive the great membership benefits, including AMAC discounts on hotels, travels, restaurants, and your membership will also support your conservative American values. So go to amac.us forward slash Ellis. That's amac.us forward slash E-L-L-I-S to become an AMAC member now. All right, joining me now, I'm so excited to welcome back to the show my good friend John Bachman, who is the host of John Bachman Now on Newsmax. He's been a dear friend of mine for quite a while. It's been a number of years. We've been through so much of the news cycles. Feels like probably a billion by now, John. And uh, you are a prolific voice uh, for not only the news, but also uh, for the conservative movement, I think, and actually putting your finger on the pulse. And you had an opportunity to interview President Trump uh, before the Arizona rally on Saturday. So I want to start there. And uh, what was his mood and tenor and all of that like compared to, you know, maybe pre-2020? Well, first, Jen, it's great to be with you. You're very kind in that introduction. Um, But to your question, you know, I, I was kind of surprised a little bit how relaxed President Trump was backstage. You know, I've been interacting with him for, you know, maybe 15 years when I first moved to South Florida as a news reporter. I remember the first time I ever saw him in person, he was announcing some condo project down here or something like that. Um, And, you know, several interactions with him. He just has this way, you know, when he kind of knows who you are, he's familiar with you, he drops the guard a little bit and you can have, you know, some real human, you know, moments with him. I've been interviewing politicians for the last 20 years and, uh, you know, of course, this is always different with him, but he was relaxed. Um, I think he's got his eye on the ball, so to speak, in a number of different ways. He's focused on his um, social media stuff right now and being an influential voice uh, in the Republican Party. And I also think he's focused on, you know, what the future may hold for him in 2024. You know, as it relates to the interview, you know, a lot of people talk to him about January 6th and all this other stuff. But I really wanted to know from him you know, what he wants to see Congress doing if they do take back the majority. This is something that you and I talk about, Jenna, all the time. It's great to win elections. You know, it's, it, we like to hear the, the rah-rah, sis-boom-bah stuff from the Republicans when they're in the minority. But, you know, there's a lot of people, too, who, who are just, you know, frustrated with a lack of, of progress on, you know, things like uh, the fight for life and, uh, you know, abortion, pushing back against abortions and, and just, you know, spending, number one. And, you know, President Trump is somewhat responsible for that. But, you know, just the basic fundamental things uh, that we all signed up for when we, you know, dis- decided we were going to be conservatives. Yeah. And I watched your interview, which uh, aired yesterday on Newsmax. And uh, one of the things that struck me about President Trump's commentary that was that he actually gave uh, Kevin McCarthy a pretty good grade because you asked him to grade uh, the current GOP leadership. And that 
response was very interesting because President Trump seems to kind of go back and forth and have sort of a love-hate relationship with uh, both Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell. Uh, Right now, he's utterly slamming Mitch McConnell. Did that response surprise you that he actually said he's working well with McCarthy when McCarthy really isn't that popular among a lot of conservatives? You know, I think I understand that, too. I mean, Kevin McCarthy, it's hard to not like Kevin McCarthy if you if you talk to him in person. I And I understand That's- everyone's frust- I understand everyone's frustrations with the lack of progress. But he is just one guy. And it's a difficult task leading, you know, a very boisterous uh, GOP conference. And I think President Trump is a realist. I think he understands McCarthy's limitations. I think they've probably um, mollified some of the disagreements they have, especially the stuff that McCarthy said immediately after January 6th. They've gotten past that. And President Trump has a history of doing this and, you know, kind of getting in a fight with somebody, finding what you can agree on and then using those agreements to build a relationship with it, it, You know, and I think also Kevin McCarthy is humble enough to kind of bend the knee to President Trump and realize that he is really the leader of the party. I don't think Mitch McConnell is willing to do the same thing. And I think Mitch McConnell is more like Liz Cheney and that they just can't really accept the fact that they're not the ones calling the shot for their sake of the Republican Party anymore, that the, you know, it is the party of the working class, a little more rough and tumble uh, type of thing. But I, I think President Trump sees that Kevin McCarthy is more dynamic in, in that way, and Mitch McConnell is not. And so I really wasn't surprised, and I'm also encouraged by that, because hmm. you know, I was mentioning the fact that President Trump has been able to, to work. You know, Elise Stefanik is another person who said some things about President Trump, uh, and he's gotten past that. Uh, you, for example, have said some things in the past about President Trump, yeah. but you've worked past that. And I think that's a very positive thing. We need more of that in our politics. You need to be able to come at somebody, get in a debate with them, maybe even call them a few names sometimes, and then put that in the past and work through it. Now, is that possible with Mitch McConnell? Mm, maybe not so much, but Kevin McCarthy it is. I also think when it comes to you know what's done in the House and what's done in the Senate, two different types of business. And I just think Donald Trump is a more House type guy, you know, more man of the people, not one of these hoity-toity senators who walks around and lets the staff do everything and have their own private cloakrooms. And, you know, I, th- I just think there's, there's a lot of personality things, too, that go along with that as well. Yeah. And that's an interesting analysis. And I think uh, provides some more color and depth than, uh, you know, what we kind of tend to see on Twitter and how a lot of people's knee-jerk reaction is, well, you know, if Kevin McCarthy isn't doing exactly what we want him to do right now, then, you know, President Trump shouldn't be commending him at all. But I think you're absolutely right that um, President Trump, and in my own experience, you know, in, in working with him, he is someone who actually wants people to disagree with him or to say, you know, here's my position and here's why, here's a different take on it. And there may be issues that are the news of the day that uh, people have openly disagreed. But then when that issue is resolved, then people do move on and they do move forward. And so that kind of galvanizing around the current things, what can we do today? What is the landscape today? I do think you're right that he is a realist and a pragmatist. And that's actually beneficial um, to seeing how he can move forward and coalesce, not just the establishment GOP, but the conservatives and really the MAGA base, uh, because there's a lot of uh, fracturing in the party that I think is very warranted. I mean, as you know, John, I very publicly left the Republican Party, but not conservatism. And there is a distinction there. And so what President Trump is going to have to do moving forward as the leader of the party, which I absolutely believe that he is, is that he's going to have to work with people who are willing to work with him and get on an America First agenda 
and leave the establishment uh, sort of, this is the way that old Washington has worked for, you know, 20, 40 years, uh, like the Mitch McConnells of the world, the Liz Cheney's, and be willing finally to come on board with his agenda and saying, this is more a movement of we the people than establishment Republicans. And I don't think that Mitch McConnell is, uh, is really going to get on board with that. Other than, you know, he did do a lot of work getting a lot of the judges on the federal bench. That was great. Um, but moving forward to 2024, um, what was your sense in terms of when President Trump is going to announce? I think we all know he is uh, likely to run again and uh, when that announcement is going to come out and how that will be received in the GOP. You know, I actually want to kind of turn this back around on you, Jenna, because I'm wondering why he's not doing it yet. I imagine there are some legal reasons why with the changing in the campaign finance rules and stuff like that. But you know, I think he has the advantage right now of not being ha not having to announce with everyone kind of assuming he is going to run. He can campaign for it. You know, everyone's ears perked up when he said, we're going to take back the White House. And of course, in his very, you know, special way of yeah. using the, the English language, what does we mean specifically, Mr. President? And that's why I think he doesn't let us interview him after these rallies, because that would have been my first question. You said we were going to take out the White House. Define we for me. Yes. That's what I would love to ask. Well, him. and of course, you know, he's such a master of communication that he will say things that are precise enough, but not so precise that we actually get an interpretation and a very clear definition of that. And I think that's brilliant on his part. So, um, so, so yeah, I mean, and I think also um, moving forward to 2022 and the emphasis on the midterms, probably if he announced now, there would be such an emphasis on 2024 that we would lose a lot of steam perhaps. Um, but, you know, moving forward, speaking about 2022, how much do you think his endorsements are factoring into uh, where the donations are going, uh, where these seats in terms of the primaries and other things are going. How important is his endorsement to a national office? Well, I think it depends, right, on where you live. And I, you know, I was also encouraged uh, by the way he kind of handled the Virginia thing, you know, talking about it but not really injecting himself into that. And you know, in a state like Virginia, where it was more the moderate uh, suburban female voters that were going to make the difference, he seemed to know how to throttle himself back and just have the right amount, have people advocating for the policies that he's advocating for. But now, like, change to the state of Arizona, and you saw, I think, how, you know, he is so supportive of Carrie Lake and how that has catapulted her to the, really, the front of the conversation uh, for the GOP governor's race. You know, I think it's all depending on the geography of the question. Uh, I agree with you that there is no question that Donald Trump is a leader of the GOP, but his effect is different in different parts of the country. And I'm encouraged by what happened in Virginia, how he knows how to use it. It seems like that, you know, I think the the question is, you know, in a nuanced kind of way, can, can there be some more finesse when it comes to what we saw from President Trump. And we're seeing that. And I, uh, I was, again, encouraged by the more relaxed kind of backstage. I guess that comes when you're not being impeached twice. You can be <laughs> a little bit more relaxed. But, um, yeah. no, I, I think it just, just depends on the geography of everything. And I think he has a, a pretty good pulse, a uh, feel on the pulse of that.
Yeah, and speaking about him being relaxed, um, I think it was intentional. I mean, he's the greatest showman, and, you know, as you know, John, he personally goes through his playlist for rallies. I mean, he is involved in every single detail of these rallies. Um, They're amazing. The opportunities that I had to travel with him to a number of rallies and to see that from, you know, backstage and then also uh, from how he was received and just the energy that's at these rallies. Um, It was very interesting to me to see that he, of course, intentionally, you know, wore the Make America Great Again hat, not the Keep America Great. So we're back to saying, wait a second, Biden is terrible. So that was very clear messaging. And also the more relaxed look. He didn't wear a tie. He had the kind of, you know, the open collar. Um, That was very relaxed. And what you would expect from, you know, the Florida man, not from someone who's the incumbent, right? So, um, So what was your perspective on that? I mean, did that go to the overall attitude of being relaxed or what was the messaging there? Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, if if I probably had more than five minutes, I would have asked him about that um, because you know it's what's interesting to see, Jen, and you know this as, as well as anyone. A lot of people don't know this, but behind the the scenes, before these rallies, it's an opportunity for President Trump to meet one on one with people. And you know, I don't want to give away too much here, but there are a lot of important meetings going on behind the scenes, and I, it's about him connecting on a one on one level with a lot of people. Um, you know, Rick Rennell, for example, who we both know, he was backstage and we were trying to work out an interview and he said, hey, John, I'm not going to be able to do it now because I got to go backstage and meet with President Trump. He makes time for so many people um, so that, you know, everyone's really excited to see him too backstage. So there's like this positive vibe back there that's hard to describe. Uh, and, you know, I, I was kind of picking up on his vibe. I felt comfortable enough to ask him for that selfie at the end and he was all about it. Um, so, yeah, I, I just, you know, I, I also think he's he's having a lot of success raising money for his social media venture. So, you know, he has that to kind of uh, think about as well, in addition to politics, and that's all good. And, you know, I know he's around his kids a lot more now, uh, not in, in Washington. I'm sure that makes uh, Donald Trump a lot happier as well. I just think he's in a good place mm-hmm. right now. And, uh, you know, I know he, he wants to get back in the fight, but... Uh, we're all liking this this version of Trump right now, Jen. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I was one of the privileged few that, uh, John, you actually texted me that selfie before you shared it on social media. And I was like, yes, two of my favorite people. So uh, that was really fun to see you there and to see you with uh, the president. And both of you looked great and looked uh, relaxed. And that's so much fun. <laughs> so uh, I know uh, one of our one of our producers, Chris Knowles, he's like, hey, looking good. And I, of course, I was like, oh, you know, thanks. And then I saw like, you know, 300, 400 other comments below. And it was all about how good President Trump looked. And I was just reminded, I was like, oh, yeah, nobody cares about me in this equation. I'm yeah. just the guy who took the selfie. They're, they're zooming in <laughs> on that. And I was like, That's okay, right. whatever. You know, it was great. That's right. But then the other great picture was the one that the photographer took of you taking the selfie. I love candid moments like that that are so fun. Some of my favorite pictures on, um, you know, the campaign trail for 2020 with President Trump are some of those backstage moments where you're right. I mean, he's not just thinking about um, his speech and about that. He's actually taking meetings. He's doing a lot of business um, and other things backstage. And one of my favorite pictures um, was at, this was before the um, the Las Vegas rally, actually. And that was that was one of the craziest moments I'll never forget is in the motorcade going down at like 65 miles an hour, going down an empty Vegas, uh, Las Vegas strip in the motorcade where I'm like, this would never happen under any other context. So cool. Right. I mean, you get to be in those situations and um, I want to give a hat tip to my, my camera guy, Tyler, you know, um, when you fly out to there, you you hire a crew. I never met the guy before, but there was a moment in which we didn't think the interview was going to happen, Jenna and Tyler, the camera guy, 
was so excited about being involved in the interview that we didn't even tell him that it was momentarily canceled because we didn't want to rob his spirit from him. So he was so excited to be back there as well. Uh, and I was glad that he got to participate. And that was just, you know, we actually aired that because he pulled out um, from the camera shot and got me taking that selfie. And I'm glad he did. He was just a total pro and I was glad he got to enjoy it as well. It's a big thrill. I mean, I think even if you don't like Donald Trump or whatever, you have to respect as a journalist the presidency enough to be excited by those moments. A former president, and this is one thing I couldn't understand why we were the only network to broadcast his speech. This is a former president who is still a contender in the next presidential race, who holds a rally in the middle of nowhere in Arizona that attracts 50,000 people, and you're telling me that's not a giant news event and that all the major networks shouldn't be there and covering it in a more substantial way? I mean, come on. They're making it too easy on us here at Newsmax, Jenna. Yeah. They are. Yeah, and you know, and that's why I'm so grateful to be part of Newsmax as well as a contributor. And um, you know, I really appreciate that Newsmax follows the news and actually saying, okay, this is newsworthy, and we are not going to try to shape the news based on what the establishment GOP uh, wants us to do or what you know fake news CNN. I mean, look at their ratings. So clearly, Newsmax is doing a much better job than you know Potato Head Stelter over there. But you're absolutely right, and you know the thing contrasting. And, and Jenna, just one more thing on that sure. too. Like, you know, that's the Nielsen ratings. It's not even really accurately measuring the digital pickup we get. That's you know, true. Newsmax is the only network that's available where you don't have to be behind a paywall. So when you look at the numbers, just the raw Nielsen numbers, I mean, I would, you know, guess that it's maybe, maybe double that as our actual viewership. And I think in a lot of time frames, we are actually nipping at CNN's heels, which for a kid who grew up in Atlanta, going on field trips to the CNN Center. That is a great place to be right now at Newsmax. That's awesome. Yeah, and you know, I actually did a whole uh, podcast. People can um, can go back and you can look for that at thejennaellisshow.com on, um, and it was in the context of, um, of uh, see, I'm already forgetting his name on the Sunday show, the guy who moved over to CNN from Fox. Um, Chris, Chris Wallace. Chris Wallace. Yeah, see, he's yes. such a has-been now. I, I, I can't even remember his well, name. Well, he ain't his dad. He but, ain't his dad, yeah, Mike exactly. Wallace, that's for um, sure. That he moved over to their digital side, and everybody's like, what are you doing? And so talking about how I think Newsmax actually has the right model um, because so many people, you know, myself included, that we don't care about cable subscriptions, and I don't want the whole package of, you know, everything and paying $150 a month or whatever it is from you know, a lot of these, um, these cable networks for Newsmax to have an app available, you know, open digital streaming, all of that is a really successful, I think, business model for the future for, um, younger people who want on-demand content. So, um, so go listen to that. I definitely talk about, um, you know, Chris Wallace and his move to CNN, but on that note that you brought up, John, I think that Newsmax definitely has the right model moving forward, not just in terms of newsworthy content and what we're talking about on the news, but also just the business model. So um, it's great to be part of the network. And of course, you know, you um, are a vice president there as well. And, you know, you've been a part of this and you were actually the first uh, person to give me an opportunity to go on Newsmax probably five or six years ago now. And um, that was really helpful for me and um, introduced me to the network. And so I I credit slash blame you for all of, all of the rest of <laughs> well, my relationships. Well, I think you were with the uh, James Dobson focus on the family group at the time. And I, and I, and I had, was familiar with James Dobson because believe it or not, once upon a time, Jenna, my CBS station in Augusta, Georgia, used to actually run James Dobson's segments. And like, uh-huh. You know, it, it was, but it, it's Augusta, Georgia, right? It's it's the it's the, the deep Bible. South, Christian values, and you know, I don't, you know, now that we have corporate ownership, I don't know if that stuff happens anymore. When you have the decisions being made 
uh, from some corporate office someplace a thousand miles away from a local television station, you know, are those people concerned about what um, the local viewers actually care about? I don't know anymore. But anyway, that's how I, you know, I, I, I was familiar with the organization. I, I had this affinity for James Dobson because he was always so kind and, you know, just, you know, just gave you a sense of peace every time you, I saw him on television when I was working in local news. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. I, that's one of, the, one of the things I love about these rallies, too, is, you know, seeing people who you've known uh, f- through, through this movement um, years later, seeing their careers grow, um, seeing their careers expand. It's really just fun having these real friendships and seeing people, you know, enjoy it. And, you know, I love what I do every day. And it's because of these friendships. And, you know, you get to talk about it. I mean, I tell people all the time, it's like having good friends working on school projects. If you ever, you were a nerd like me in high school and you had a group of people and you guys were actually doing the group projects together and you get a good grade at the end, it's fun. You know, that's the kind of like, you know, vibe I want at work. And we get that with you and with a lot of the other people as well. So, you know, it's yeah. all fun. Absolutely, it is. And um, that expresses so perfectly exactly why I love media as well and coming on, you know, shows like yours and then having um, these types of in-depth conversations that we can have on podcasts and other things because really it's about talking about the issues that impact us and what we all care about, but with really good friends. And I love the friendships that, you know, across um, the nation among conservatives. I mean, it is, it's a, it's a big group because, you know, we are definitely the, more vocal now, not silent majority, but it's also a very small group in terms of the national profiles of people who uh, comment and who are part of the uh, the news media and actually understanding that we need to go where the stories are, we need to speak truth, and we need to not be silenced or censored in any way. And, um, and so I think that having a lot of this that's outside of the legacy media is becoming so much more important. And President Trump gets that. And I think with his uh, Truth Social and his platforms and uh, with him even putting out all of the statements saying, you know, Newsmax is carrying the rallies and uh, wanting to continue to be the greatest showman, he understands the power of the media and he always has. Um, And I think that that's something that truly sets him apart from any uh, prior Republican president. And then also contrast him, John, now with Joe Biden, who is... (laughs) Such a contrast. I I mean, mean, just such a obvious contrast. He's using these sets, not even the Oval Office. It's awful. It's I hard mean, to that watch. just to me is so weird. I consider myself a presidentialist, Jenna. I love the institution of the presidency. There has never been anything like it in the history of mankind. It's so important. Um, but this is awful. It's hard for me to watch. You know, you separate your feelings about Joe Biden, the man, and you look at what's happening to the office of the presidency. It is really just hard to watch. But I want to go back to something you were saying about, you know, these relationships. And we talked about President Trump kind of engaging people who want to dissent and, you know, have these debates. You know, I don't want to give away too much of our private conversations, but, you know, you are one of the people, you know, a small group of people that I actually can go to when I know I'm going to have a disagreement with you on something because you'll challenge me. I challenge you. We do have a debate. Sometimes it gets heated, but we always come back to what we agree on. And again, you know, that's what makes I think our segments on television, these types of conversations better. And, you know, you just hope to grow that uh, circle of people that you have those types of relationships with in this in this space. 
Yeah. And I really appreciate you saying that. And, and thank you for that because, you know, that's, you're one of the few people, um, in my circle of, you know, media and everything that I always know I can come to offline and say, Hey, you know, what do you think about this? Or let's talk about this. And you can come to me as well. And we do have those debates and conversations, but, um, you know, it, it's makes the analysis more rich when, you're able to talk with friends who you trust, you know, okay, we share the same goals for America, for, you know, traditional values, all of that. But I can't ever say for myself that I always have the best and the correct perspective on absolutely everything. I mean, that would, that's, that's <laughs> no, no, Mitch McConnell, right? Right. <laughs> so, right. As, yeah. as, as Socrates taught us, Jenna, right? The only true wisdom is knowing you know nothing, right? And right. that's, you know, any true critical thinker, anyone who cares about, you know, truth and the quest for knowledge that's how you have to approach everything of course we bring our biases and our you know mm-hmm. prerequisite Life knowledge experience. to the debate but you just you just got to set it aside listen to people more often and uh, don't be afraid of being wrong right yeah and and of growing and maybe expanding your perspective on things i mean i've learned so much from president trump from um you know and obviously as we were talking about earlier you know my perspective once i actually met him and understood what he stood for, not just what the mainstream media was saying, I changed my perspective on him and became a supporter. And, um, you know, having no idea at the time that a couple of years later, I would end up working for him as his lawyer, you know, and that, um, and thankfully that type of, uh, of change and that kind of growth can take place. And I wish that more people would come to the table in good faith. Um, and I hope that I always do to say, you know what, I'm, I have my principles and truth doesn't change, but how I apply those principles or maybe the perspective, the analysis, the understanding, you can grow and learn and you should be changing in good ways to have a greater reflection of the truth ultimately of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but also the application of our conservative principles built on the Christian worldview in these areas of life. I mean, my um, just having you know, friends like you and, um, and others who have such a rich depth of knowledge have, you know, been around the media for so long. I've learned so much and I would be foolish to not take advantage of those types of conversations. And really, you know, I mean, as much fun as I have doing this podcast, the most, most fun conversations are the ones that happen, you know, offline and in yes, the background. Yes, yes. And that was true can't. for President Trump as well. The ones we can't talk about yes. on recorded podcasts; those are always the best ones, right? And um, there's a you know famous uh, CBS News political analyst Jeff Greenfield, and he always said the most valuable currency in our business are the things you don't tell your audience, you know, because mm-hmm. when a politician or a source knows you know something but you keep it close to the vest, they of course trust you and they will come back to you and give you information. So yes, we like to be honest and open with the public, but of course there are certain things we yeah. have to keep for ourselves. But uh, it's all part of it. It's all part of it. Yes. And, uh, you know, and, and looking at the things that we can talk about and um, and moving forward to is in this contrast. Um, I agree with you, John, that it is just so disheartening to see what the office of the president has become with Joe Biden. And it is shocking to me as much as, you know, none of us want Kamala Harris to be the president. It is still shocking to me from a principled perspective that the cabinet is not invoking the 25th Amendment, that we don't have any conversation from the Democrats about about his uh, mental health, his awareness, um, his lack of ability to actually run the country. I mean, all of this should be a headline every day. I mean, if, if this were President Trump, they were trying to say that he was incapable and incompetent just based on they didn't like his politics. I mean, you know, he makes a pre-recorded statement about Martin Luther King 
Junior Day, Jenna, two weeks ago or something like that. We don't even see the man yesterday on a national holiday. I mean, if, if Martin Luther King is the reason why we're all supposed to get on board with the voting rights legislation that they are pushing, where was the man yesterday on the holiday? I mean, come on. And that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I've never worked in Washington before. I've never been a White House press secretary or counsel to the president. But even I, you know, caveman brain news anchor guy, know that you got to see the president on MLK Day. He should be in Atlanta, of course. Um, but no, it, it, he, he's too old or too feeble or too or unable for whatever reason to get his butt out of bed on Sunday and make it back to the White House on Monday. And it's, it's a sad thing. I mean, you know, I, 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 to your point about the 25th, I, I just say wrap Joe Biden in bubble wrap until November, until, you know, there are actually somebody in Congress that can, that can hold the executive branch accountable. Because right now, Jenna, we are just holding our breath and praying that nothing happens that actually requires a strong response from the executive branch. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, looking at uh, the people who, of course, are behind the scenes and they're actually running the country instead of Joe Biden, it still doesn't give a good presence um, on the national stage uh, to, you know, either our allies or our enemies. And, you know, America needs to have a projection of strength because, um, you know, image is, is at least half the battle. I mean, you have to have this image of strength and Joe Biden just isn't. And even those who voted for him, um, you know, the few that there are understand and already, uh, you know, are changing their minds and they're seeing the damage uh, that he's done. But the Democrat Party, and we were talking, um, you know, just a few minutes before we started uh, recording this, John, about, you know, Chuck Schumer and the Nancy Pelosi's and some of these, um, these other Democrats who they Their game plan, as you were saying, just doesn't even seem to make sense that they are still trying to force uh, their their whole reputation, really, um, you know, behind some of these very failed measures and they're going for it anyway. I mean, what do you think of the current state of the Democrat Party and how is that going to play into 2022? You know, I, I have a theory on this, Jenna, and I think, you know, Democrats know that the deck is stacked against them in terms of the numbers. They don't have the votes to get this done. And, you know, they're going to push forward and fail on this because it will be incredibly disappointing for the progressive base of the Democratic Party. And then, you know, Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden and all the leadership in the Democrats, they want to try to leverage that disappointment to change the rules, to, 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 to change the game, get rid of the filibuster, pack the court, do all these things they want to do because they know they'll have a very small window between when this vote fails and when the election occurs in November to get this stuff done. The American public doesn't want it. They think for some reason that they need it, and they're going to try to shove it down everyone's throat. I, I do feel encouraged based on what I've seen, the resistance you see from people, not political resistance, but it's just about people wanting their lives to return to a sense of normalcy. And they're not getting that from this administration. And it's not just the pandemic, Jenna, it's the border. I mean, people look at what's going on on the border. You're in the middle of the pandemic. Does it make sense to fire nurses and open the border? But that's what this administration has done. People know fundamentally, it just doesn't make sense. That's why you see the poll numbers like this. Um, And and I think this is just Chuck Schumer's last play. Look, I gotta do something because if I don't, I'm gonna get primaried by AOC in, uh, in, in my Senate race. And that's, Really, you know, only thing Chuck Schumer really cares about is his precious Senate yeah. seat, his serfdom. And right, and isn't it so disgusting? I mean, it's such a manipulation not only of the American people but of 
are systems and processes and ultimately laws that are in place. And, you know, to, to have a, to work with the law and understand the parameters and the contours, I mean, that's something that lawyers do every day, right? I mean, then that's why law should be predictable. That's why we should have um, the ability to understand the principles and the rationale on which it was founded. I mean, there's a lot that goes into understanding the legal construct, but when your ultimate goal is simply to manipulate the law to your own advantage and to to not even carry out or to be completely antithetical for the purpose on which it was designed and the rationale, that's where it gets into really, I think, unethical manipulation. And that's where the Chuck Schumers of the world and the Democrat Party as a whole, they always will only invoke the Constitution or other processes like the filibuster in the Senate uh, just for their own purposes and for their own self-interest instead of actually getting their job done. And And I think that's despicable. It's so short-sighted too, Jenna, because... You know, I've adapted Newton's third law of physics. Every action has an equal opposite reaction to Bachman's third law of politics. And that's every Democratic policy proposal has the opposite and unintended consequence for them. They got rid of the filibuster for federal judicial nominees. And what do we get? We got a 6-3 conservative majority on the Supreme Court. Chuck Schumer is going to do this. It, like I call it a kamikaze mission. What's going to wind up happening is Demo- Republicans are going to take back control of Congress. And they already have a laundry list of things that they're going to do. Uh, if they don't have the filibuster in place. Well, Democrats aren't going to like it. That sounds like a great book, John. When is it coming <laughs> out for uh, Bachman's Rules of Politics? Uh, I don't know. I don't know, Jenna. I got I to gotta find some time for that one. <laughs> All right. Well, I've taken up far too much of your time already, but you know these conversations are always so much fun, John. And I hope that you'll come back uh, very soon and often to have you know these lengthier conversations. And everyone needs to tune in from twelve to two every day Eastern time to Newsmax. Uh, John is one of the best voices on Newsmax. I have to say one of because you know I love everybody well, on Newsmax, uh, look, but you are hey, one of the best. I don't want to be the only. And I just said that, I said this today. You know, I'm so disappointed with OAN getting canceled. You know, I competition. Yeah sharpens the blade it makes all of us better um and yes i i I don't want to be the only one jenna i just want to be one of the voices i'm happy with that great to see yeah well you know it it is a team effort and uh, glad to be a part of your team and uh thanks so much john and where can people find you um on twitter you are john f bachman everyone should follow him why aren't you verified yet either that's ridiculous Uh, they jack can't brand me i don't want that verification on twitter i don't need it jenna i got i reach my folks uh you know i i don't like what they're doing over there there's there's all these rules you have to play when you're verified i I'm going to stay unverified as long as I can. Ah, okay. All right. So it's by choice. It is by choice. I'll be honest with you. I did apply for the verification one time um, just because folks like you said, hey, you need it. Um, and I did. I'm not, I, I would take it. I'm not, but look, I, I'm kind of happy with the way I got like, you know, 17,000 followers join me over there. I'll, I'll hang out as long as I can before I get kicked off. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I'm, they can't brand me over there with that blue check Good. mark. I don't All want right. it. Well, well, that's great. And you're a unicorn in that way, John, but <laughs> <laughs> not wanting that, but that's great. But everyone should follow you on Twitter. Um, your tweets are great. And you, because you post selfies of you with President Trump. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's a one-time that's... occurrence. I don't know if I'll do that again. If I ever get an opportunity to interview Joe Biden, I will ask him to take a selfie. We'll see how it goes. I might get you know, oh, wow. He, yeah, he that, that would it. be fun. And I would look forward to seeing that. And especially what's in the background, you know, in, oh, on his yes, crazy could be, set. <laughs> could be anything green That's screen. Well, John, thanks so much for joining no me. And I look forward to seeing you on your show on Newsmax soon. All right, Jenna. Talk to you soon. 
Ah, John Bachman is the best, isn't he? Definitely follow him on social media. And, you know, conversations like that with my friends is why I love having this show and this podcast to just have um, those conversations and kind of give everyone an insight into some of the, you know, crazy media world uh, that that I've become accustomed to now over the last, you know, five years or so. But it's really great to have uh, really good friends in the business that you can trust, that you can bounce things off of. And I hope that uh, whatever business and industry that you're in, that you have that circle of friends that you can trust, that you go to, that you um, that you talk about, you, that you collaborate with. Um, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got as a brand new lawyer, I was a law clerk um, for the Colorado Attorney General's office and um, still actually have a bunch of really good friends that I worked with there. And uh, one of my mentors uh, who was there at the AG's office uh, was asking me my perspective on a case. And I'm thinking, you know, you're like, you're a veteran attorney of, you know, 20 years and you're like the most brilliant person that I've ever seen in trial. Like, why are you asking me for advice? And he told me, well, you know, you have a different perspective and you may see something about this case, about this evidence, about the strategy that I didn't because I have a lot of experience and I'm used to doing things a certain way. And he's, he told me, Always, always, always collaborate with colleagues because you never know what you'll have missed that they'll pick up on and you are better for listening to other people's point of views and perspectives. And that always stuck with me. And I have found throughout um, not only my legal career, but also uh, my media career as well, that that has proven to be absolutely indispensable um, to think about things from um a conversation or just from a different perspective from people who you know have the same goals and values, but they may just have a slightly different perspective based on their circumstances or as John John was saying, you know, their uh, biases even, their life history, their experience. Um, that's what makes a jury unique um, is that there are 12 people who all come from, you know, different walks of life, different backgrounds, life experiences that are looking at the evidence that's presented. And we ask them, to set aside their biases, look at the facts, get to the truth, but their life experience does shape the way that they view the world. And so we have to understand and self-evaluate and also make sure that our biases are not things that impede us from understanding truth, but also recognize that our experience and our perspectives do shape us as individuals. And it's a good thing to collaborate with other people and to learn and grow from them and to always make sure with that contrast of relationship. I mean, contrast is all about two different points on whether it's you know linear or whatever uh, your perspective is. Perspective is about the relationship between two different points on a plane. And you can't have that perspective in that relationship without at least two different points. And so the more multifaceted you can become, the more things uh, can be oriented and looked at differently or expanding your horizon. So um, that's been one of the things that I've most valued about my time in the years in media have been these relationships with people who I know share a love uh, first and foremost of truth, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and also 
the conservative principles that our country was founded on, um, all of those things go into uh, insights and different ways that we can learn and grow from each other. So um, I hope that you enjoyed the conversation with John. I always love talking to him. I mean, um, he's right. You know, sometimes, you know, he'll call me about something and we'll spend an hour on the phone and then be like, okay, we have to get off and do other things. But it's always such an enlightening conversation and always just fun to collaborate with colleagues that you know share your same deep passions for our country, for our constitution, and um, and really for the work that we do. So that was a fun conversation for me to have, and I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, but vaccines have not eliminated the Chinese Fauci virus, so we all need extra protection for our immune systems, not just extra protection in talking to our friends and all of that, but also for our immune system. So my friends at Centurion Labs have combined five key ingredients to defend your immune system against allergies, colds, the flu, and even the coronavirus. It's called the Centurion Defender, and it incorporates vitamins C, D, zinc, copper, and quercetin in just one capsule. So no more swallowing 10 pills a day or not taking supplements because the individual cost is just too high. Take one Defender with breakfast and one with dinner and keep on living your life. That's what it's all about, right? Just like the Centurions of Rome led by example and held themselves to the highest possible standards, Centurion Labs has dedicated the last 15 years to research and develop safe, effective, and affordable healthcare products made in the USA that you can trust. So for a limited time, listeners of this show can save 20% off of your first order of Centurion Defender when you visit centurionlabs.com forward slash Jenna and use the promo code Jenna. Save 20% and defend your health today with Centurion Defender. That's Centurion Labs, labs with an S, dot com forward slash J-E-N-N-A and use the promo code Jenna. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 